Welcome to No Ordinary Women. No Ordinary Women. With Lynn and Rose. The podcast where Lynn cries and Rose laughs. All right. Basically. Yeah. Welcome to No No Ordinary Ordinary Women, Women. the podcast where two ordinary broads chat about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and and the the batshit crazy. Hi, I'm Lynn. Hi, I'm Rose. Hi, Rose. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm dandy. I made a very fancy cocktail. I was late getting here. Sorry, Chris. Um, But... I did make a fancy schmancy because we haven't had a fancy cocktail in a long time. I know. So everybody needs a good cocktail. Lynn's been slacking on the cock. Yeah. What was it last week? We had just seltzers. Yeah. (laughs) Which I'm all, I love, you know, I love seltzers. Yeah. Um, They're so light and I feel like I can, you know. So I made today, um, you guys have already seen it because I know you're just like waiting and refreshing, waiting for our cocktail post every week. Um, I made an indigo lemonade. Did you post it? I already posted it, girl. I, I ain't messing around. I didn't get anything saying you posted. I posted it. I'm in a hurry because oh. Chris is text me, Rose's husband, and was like, You need to you need to talk really fast tonight. I had somewhere to go. It's like, okay. You spelled so, cocktail of the week wrong. No, I fuck you. I did not. C O C T A I L. God damn it, Rose. I mean, you really can't be trusted to do anything. I can't do anything. I don't do anything right. Okay, hold on. Stand by. Stand by. <sighs> Delete, please. Oh, my God. Come on, Rose. You can do it. Why do I have to do it? everything around here? I should have just fucking took a screenshot of it. What was I thinking? Now I got to fucking store it over. My God. Jesus, criminy. So we had to stop for a few minutes for Lynn to fix I had to do an emergency Instagram. edit. Because Lynn is a really bad speller. Lynn has to do emergency edits a lot. I do. I do <laughs> I do a lot. So you see with this, like, when it says this reel is no longer available, that's because Lynn misspelled something. And Rose is like, Lynn, you misspelled this. So sometimes and I'm rushing and I don't proofread. I'm really getting sick of the overtime this is costing our company. Well, why don't you call HR? I have. I've have I've actually put in a report. We're going to write you up. Okay. Well, the, you know what's going to happen. What? Then HR is just going to come right back to me and just tell me exactly what you said, because that's what HR does. Well, that's fine. Because I'm telling you right now. I'm calling Biz. I've already told them. I'm calling Biz. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're joking around if you guys aren't familiar. Um, Our guest we had, My Busy Kitchen, um, she posted, she and her daughter worked together, as she talked about in our podcast, and she posted something, her daughter posted, or she posted something about HR. It's like, like a writing joke about HR, and it's just her and her daughter. And then her daughter commented, or in her, re- in, in her stories, I just want to let you know, Mom, that I didn't get the message from HR, and it's like this big, long-standing yeah. joke. So anyway, it's funny. Funny, funny, funny. So um, we have the great cocktail. It's a very pretty, very fancy, 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 fancy cocktail called an indigo lemonade, and it is one ounce of St. Germain elderflower liqueur, lemonade, and, oh, I forgot to put the garnish, and then, um, oh my God, two ounces of Indigo gin, which is bright purple. It's beautiful. And then you garnish it with a sabaregal. A sprig of fresh rosemary, which my rosemary, I went out to pick some. I'm like, oh, I have rosemary. It's very dried up and dead. I need to water it. Where'd little. you get this? This is mine for my garden. Oh. But it was. it's very dry. It's not... Yeah, my rosemary is also very dry in my I garden. To, I need to. It's awful. She needs water. So. Um, 
It is very pretty. It's a beautiful It's a drink. little strong. It's very strong. Um, we'll be slamming these tonight, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, we're drinking them slowly, which is amazing for Lynn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's very strong. But it's I Rose and I both I feel like I'm at like a fancy restaurant and this is my like yeah. before dinner cocktail. Fancy restaurant in this little room. In this little room. <laughs> Maybe we should start a restaurant, Rose. <laughs> you wanna take that on? No. <laughs> We're struggling with the podcast. <laughs> I can't even advertise for the podcast. I'm gonna start a restaurant. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of all that today. I didn't do the food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like um, the cafe, the marketplace at work. I'm like, what's your panini today? Because they have like a panini every week. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, it's a you know pizza panini or whatever, and but it's gonna be served on a hamburger bun. <laughs> what? That's not a panini. They, I'm like, because we don't have panini bread. I'm like, can I get like just wheat bread? And she's like, oh, yeah, you can get wheat bread. I'm like, well, why don't you offer that instead of a hamburger bun? What the? Why wouldn't they just put it on white or wheat? Just say white right. or wheat. Like hamburger bun? Yeah. And that was like two weeks ago, and they're still serving things on hamburger buns. I'm like, did you not place the order? Maybe the vendor's know. out of the... But they, they can still use white or wheat. Right. Why would they put it on a... That's so gross. I know. Oh, my God. So weird. People. So today, Rose... I'm going to tell you about Alva Vanderbilt. So Ooh. while I was in Rhode Island in Newport visiting my son's fiance, um, actually my son and his fiance were there. Well, they got engaged while I was there. So I actually when I went to visit, he wasn't his fiance yet. It was when I left, he was his fiance. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, I just want to make sure everyone <laughs> understood that. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so he lives in New. His mom lives in Newport. And he's from Newport, and so it was. We've gone to the Breakers, which is a Vanderbilt mansion. Oh, it, let me rephrase that. It's their summer cottage. Oh, okay. But it's like you know bigger than Macy's. Um, it's ridiculous, and um, so I learned a little bit about the Vanderbilt 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 family in you know in that tour. And then um, when I went, that was the first time I went to Newport. The second time I went just recently. Um, we went to Belcourt, which is another mansion that was owned, built by Alva Vanderbilt's second husband. And the person that owns it now is the woman that owns Alex and Ani that started Alex oh, really? and Ani. Yeah. Oh. And it's, it's, she doesn't really stay there, but it's haunted. It's has like history of being haunted and because it's haunted we did a little ghost tour of it when oh, i was there last time it was very ghosts? cool so were there what? any ghosts i didn't see any ghosts i tried really hard but i didn't so see any. i when you were talking about this i was thinking of um the winchester mystery house have you ever heard of that maybe Mm-mm. i'll do a story on that um i don't really remember but it's it's a woman who's like they lived in like a mansion. I think it's in California. And it made me when you were telling me about it, I I was thinking of the Winchester Mystery House, which is in California, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's this woman her I don't I don't know all the specifics. It's like back in like Civil War days, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and her husband died and she kept building. She was like afraid of ghosts or something. So she kept building onto the mansion and like doors that led nowhere and all this stuff. Maybe I'll do that one next, okay. but well, so that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, so she built. Um, so the Vanderbilt Mansion, the Breakers, is was built by um, Alva's husband's older brother, 
Um, and this place is grand. I mean, it's just insane. That's where you through. went? That's the first one I went to. Okay. The, um, so then she built, she and her husband built Marble House, which is on the same side of the road on the cliff of the ocean. It's just beautiful. I've never been in Marble House. That'll be my next visit. Um, but when she married her second husband, they moved into, um, I forgot the name of it already. I, I said the name of it a second ago and I've forgotten it. I know that I don't usually do that, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, we're anyway, all so surprised. So she moved in with her husband. And so, yeah, but like Newport, a lot of money, people summering in Newport. Yeah, stuff. right. So, I so have is been there. it so, really but, nice up there? Oh, my God. The, the houses, like the big houses, the, the summer yeah. cottages um, are ridiculous. Was it fun to go during the fall? Oh, yeah. It was, it's just so it's, beautiful. I know. I and the beach, it. like the road where all the mansions are on you, like it's a windy road along the beach. Yeah. And it's like you can see the water and it's like on a cliff. And then the houses are just beautiful. I mean, it's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning. I need there. to go. There's a university. It's a private university that's right like on the water. And so there's they bought like several old mansions. And those are the that's the school. Really? It's freaking. Un- what is like, it? Maybe I'll send Joseph there so I can go visit. Yeah. Him. <laughs> um, I forget the name of it. I'll have to look it up. I forget. But there was a girl there when my son got engaged that was like sitting right where they got engaged. Yeah. Like on the rocks there by the water. And she went to that school. Did you she, push had, her in? she went to VCU and then she was going there oh. for her master's or something. How do you know? You were you talking to her? Well, because I had on. Um, oh, your ODU. No, I had a JMU sweatshirt on. Oh. Why do you have a jammy sweatshirt? And she had a VCU um, baseball hat on. And oh. we asked her to take a picture. And Casey goes, did you go to VCU? And she goes, I did. And Casey goes, I live in Richmond. It was just weird. Yeah. You know, like this girl that. Yeah, right. You're very, like out of town. Yeah. It was yeah. very strange. But she was just sitting there doing homework, like on this rock <sighs> looking at the ocean. I'm like. Wow. I did homework in a shade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right started. <laughs> so anyway, so I got interested in Alva. When I did the ghost tour, because she lived in that house, and yeah, she's you know known to be a little crazy. Um, so I was like, I'm gonna do. And Andrew, my son's fiance, was like, you should do Alva, you should do Alva. And so I was like, yeah. And so I finally started reading about her, and he was like, I told you. So so Andrew better listen to this. Yeah, she he will. Um, but I think next week I might do Gloria Vanderbilt. Oh, because okay. is that who's that? That's to her. Um, to Alva. Gloria is Alva is like her grandmother or great grandmother okay, so something she's like that. I don't remember, but she, um, you know, um, Cooper and Cooper uh, Anderson Cooper <laughs> Cooper Anderson Anderson Cooper is oh his mom that's his mom oh okay <clears throat> and so I watched the documentary that they that did he, yeah um, thinking I could get some information about Alva. But there was really not much about oh, Alva in wow. there. Oh, wow. I forgot his mom was, was a Vanderbilt. Kind yeah. of fascinating. So I think I'm going to do her next week. As yeah. A, doesn't Isn't his book about her? He has a whole he has a whole chapter in his book about Alva, which I haven't read. Oh. I I but wish, his book's about his mom, right? Yeah. But I wish, I really wish we had, <laughs> I wish I could, like, read, fa- I'm a slow reader. I wish I could read faster because I love reading all these books about these people, but I can't. Do books on tape. The books, like... That's true. I should. But I like audible. to read when I go to bed. Just so listen to it. I, and then, I, then I fall asleep, but I lose my place. That would drive me crazy. I mean, I could turn it off, I guess. I don't know. I, like, I just like reading when I go to bed. Because if well, I'm if listening, slow, I won't go to sleep. If you're slow, then somebody reading to you would be faster, right? Like, how slow are you? Are you like... I am. No. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I just read really slow. What and then, you, like, how do, what is slow? Like, I'm like, 
I don't know. Like I mean, you don't her talk father, when you're Marie Forbes Smith. When you're reading, you're and, sorry, I, you're I, not I read, reading slow. I read fa- uh, slow, but a lot of times, more often than not, I'll be reading and, and then, then I'll not forget. Attention. Yeah, and then I have to go back and reread. I do that. That's uh, that's why I don't read anymore because I cannot fucking pay attention. It drives me crazy. So anyway, so we'll see. I don't know. Maybe I'll get some more books on tape. Anyway, so I'm going to tell you guys about the life of Alva Erskine Smith. Is what she was born on January seventeenth in eighteen fifty three in Mobile, Alabama. Girl, Alabama. She was a seventh of nine children. She was the only girl that survived. Only five of the nine kids lived to adulthood. Isn't that horrible? Five of nine. Oh my God! Yeah, that is. And horrible. she was the only girl. Her father, Murray Forbes Smith, was a cotton merchant, and her mother, mother, <laughs> her mother. Her mother Motherfucker. No. And her mother, Phoebe Dacia Smith, was the daughter of a U.S. congressman, Robert Dacia. Dacia is a really pretty name. It is pretty. From a very young age, Alva loved a good fight or a conflict. Oh. She, she loved to scream to make herself heard. She would respond to any boy teasing her for being a girl by beating him up. Oh, good. She nearly killed a boy <gasps> doing such a thing. Um, By her own admission, she was a horrible child, deserving every punishment that her mother gave her. She was quoted as saying, There is a force about me that seemed to compel me to do what I want to do, regardless of what might have been, what might have happened afterward. Yeah, you know what? She probably had ADHD. (laughs) Probably. That's probably true. That's probably true. I didn't even think about that. And then everybody told her she was bad, but they didn't know what was wrong with her, you know? She... mm She was very aware and disliked the constraints of being a woman. Her father was more upset when one of her brothers died than he was of a sister dying because he was losing an heir. Oh, no. And it infuriated her. It made her so angry. She grew up summering in Rhode Island and bonding with her other high-ranking socialites like old money beauty Consuelo Iznaga. Iznaga. What year is this? Or what? Like, He's not Years? Um, well, she was born in 50, 1853. Um, oh, okay. So it's like early 1900s. Yeah. Oh, no. 1853. So late so it was 1800s. Like, yeah. So okay. like, you know, 15, 10 years, 15 years later. The results of the Civil War made her father move the family to England to try and restart their lives in Liverpool, where there was a center <gasps> for British cotton. I love Liverpool. Well, so the civil, the results of the Civil War, you know what that means. He was a cotton merchant. Right, yeah, and so he lost his slaves. He lost all his slaves, so he had to move. Yeah. Mm, pity. Uh, next, they moved to France, and Alva was enrolled in French school. The family moved back to New York in 1869, and Alva was really sad to leave France. She didn't like all the changes in New York City. The social life was very different. Yeah. Because they were fucking humans. They beat <laughs> up fucking slaves. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. She was very homely, and they, they I didn't even, I almost didn't put this in, but I was like, it kind of goes to with the way that they talk about women back then. Yeah. You know? I'm trying not to spill my drink. Um, she was very homely and square-chinned. That's in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> and in a world where most, the two most powerful traits of a woman were her beauty and her wealth, Alva was coming up pretty short. Can I look her up? Yeah, you can. A little picture of her. Yeah, go ahead. 
there's so many pictures. Like, oh, my God, I could go on for days with the pictures for this story. Like the houses, the people, everything. But anybody who counted who counted her out during this period was making a grave error because Alva was also extremely cunning and very ambitious. Oh, oh she does have a very square chin. Doesn't she? It's not funny. <laughs> when I read that and then I looked at a picture, I'm like, she really does have a square chin. But nowadays, people will be like, oh, you're pretty. Um, after the move back to New York, her father's father's business wasn't doing well. I think this is karma, Rose. I mean, she's fine. She's not ugly. Yeah, she's not ugly. I don't think she's ugly. Um, so her father's business wasn't doing well. Yeah. Um, karma. They moved to a, they like had to keep moving to smaller and smaller houses. Oh no. Yeah. She didn't have a great relationship with her mother and her when her mother was 48, she died. <gasps> she was known to say that she could whip her mother with a riding crop as needed. Oh no. Yeah. That's not nice. That's always in charge, that Alva. She's always in charge. <laughs> Alva's best friend Consuelo introduced her to Willie Vanderbilt. Alva and Willie had much in common as they both came from high society families and both had European education. Willie admired Alva's drive and determination. In 1875, in New York City, she married William Kassam Vanderbilt. He was the grandson of railroad magnate Cornelius Vanderbilt, who was the patriarch of one of the wealthiest families in the United States at the time. The Vanderbilts were definitely a high society family. Cornelius initially made his money in steamship business before investing in railroads. They were a very handsome couple and fairly quickly had three children, Consuelo, William Kissam, Kissam Jr., and Herod Sterling. It's funny because they say in, in they're a handsome couple, but other people are saying she was ugly. I know. So, so I don't know. Well, probably because she, well, she's always had money. I don't like, know. Yeah. She named her daughter after her friend Consuelo, who was her old friend that I talked about. Oh, back. okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I was like, where did that name come from? Yeah, uh, the Duchess of Manchester. It was the only duchess she knew at that stage in her life, and so oh. she wanted her daughter to have prestige. Oh, Julia's practicing <laughs> the, the ukulele. Always an instrument. <laughs> Alva ran her household with more than an iron fist rose, particularly controlling her daughter, Consuelo, in oh. the most chilling ways. That's not good. For example... When Alva thought Consuelo was slouching too much, she made her wear a steel rod under <gasps> her clothes to protect her posture. Oh, geez. She was also pr- prone to physically harming Consuelo when the little girl didn't act Aww. as her mother had said. That's sad. Her weapon of choice, disturbingly enough, was a riding crop. And Alva would brandish it at the drop of a hat. But Alva liked to control her children mentally, too. What's a riding crop? Like one of those a whips? A riding crop. Yeah, like a little... The short one, like the jockeys yeah. carry. It's they like wha- about this wha- long. Whack them. Yeah. Whack them. Whack them. Whack them. Alva got along very well uh, with Willie's father and grandfather because, you know, she knew who she needed to kiss up to. Yeah, right. She was not a dumb woman. Yeah. The grandfather died in 1877, leaving a legacy of over $100 million. <gasps> $2 billion now. Willie That's was given crazy. $3 million, pushing them straight onto Fifth Avenue status. And this is what Alvin needed. Damn, you're sucking that drink down, girl. I know. Chug it, chug it, chug it. <laughs> no chugging going on here. Like, it's good after you drink. Yeah, drink it's it very good. Yeah, the first sip is like... Well, any the first sip of anything for me is Well, like I think, shocking. too, though, because you're getting closer to the elderflower, and it's elderflower is sweeter. Yeah. And the gin's a little more, you know, has a little bit of a bite to it. So... She spent her early married life establishing a place for herself and her family in the highest rungs of New York society and building magnificent mansions in New York City, Long Island, 
and Newport. So she designed and built and had a house built on Long Island so they could have a country life, which is funny to me now because it was in Islip. And that's the so I'm from the city of Brentwood, which is in the town of Islip and in the county of in Suffolk County in okay. Long Island. Um, so Islip is, you know, it's like there's several towns, several cities in Islip. Yeah. And but I'm like. When I think of, I don't think of Islip as a country life. It's very, you know, it's like the suburbs. It's just. Oh, is it? Okay. At the time. But at the time, yeah. Yeah. Long Island was the the country. Right. So they, she built a house called Idle Hour, which the name is kind of cool. That was where they went to be idle. She next started designing her home for Fifth Avenue. It was going to look like a French chateau. And I asked Chris, my son, I asked him, um, I'm like, are any of those big mansions still in, like, on Fifth Avenue? Yeah. Because, you know, it's, like, all fancy stores yeah, on Fifth right. Avenue now. And he was like, no, there's, like, an era where they just, like, tore them all down. Oh, like, really? Oh, my God, that's so Oh, that's tragic. unfortunate, yeah. And there is a picture I found of of the house. It's, it's fucking crazy. That's so weird. Can you imagine if they would have taken those mansions and just turned them into stores and like, stuff? Like, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah why like, wouldn't Or shopping so, centers or... Because... You know, like, this house was so intricate and had so many, like, it probably took up, it, they could get more square footage out of it if they made it into a square building yeah, or right. a rectangular building, right? So, Richard Morris Hunt designed most of her homes. Uh, the house was on 5th Avenue and 52nd Street. She wanted it to feel like you were in France. She couldn't just build this palace. Yes, a palace. Yeah. Everyone had to see it. She oh, wanted yeah, to be the right. biggest and the best. So let's talk a little bit about a little public ongoing feud between Alva Vanderbilt and the Miss Mrs. Astor. Mrs. Astor was the queen bee, and she ruled New York society. In fact, she was so well known that her calling cards only had three words, the Mrs. Astor. Oh, wow. Despite Alva's, <laughs> despite Alva's considerable wealth and social standing, New York society shunned her. Viewing Alva as an outsider and an intruder. Despite their social societal status, their petty feud over opera boxes, of all things. Yeah, right. Right? Unbelievably changed the New York society forever. Alva felt she had effectively broke Miss Astor's power after she married the extremely rich William K. Vanderbilt in 1875. In the late 19th century, attending the opera was a significant social event and Securing the best opera box was a status symbol because, you know, everybody needed to see you. Oh, I bet. Right, right? yeah. So the competition for these boxes became a battleground for social standing and prestige. The feud between Miss Astor and Alva Vanderbilt escalated when both women vied for control over the boxes, turning a seemingly inconsequential matter into a full-blown social war. (laughs) The outcome of this feud, however, had far-reaching consequences. Alva, determined to establish herself in society, strategically orchestrated a series of events that challenged the existing social order. In a move that defied the norms of the time, she organized a ball at her mansion at the palace, inviting both the old and the new money of New York society. She's like, I'll show these motherfuckers. She was also providing costumes for this ball. Oh, She casted the widest net ever for the grand ball. She knew that each invitee would tell everyone they knew about her palace. And that's all she needed was the word to spread quickly. Yeah, right. She sent 1,600 invitations. Holy shit. About 1,000 people showed up. 
She was including royalties where she could. Oh my God! Mrs. Astor wouldn't be invited because she hadn't called upon Alva yet. So Alva didn't have the authority to invite her. So when oh, somebody's okay. a higher society, yeah. they have to call on you first. And she had never called on her. Oh wow! So she couldn't invite her. So I mean, she probably. Was. However. Mrs. Astor's daughter desperately wanted to attend the ball because, you know, it was it was the, the big ball. Yeah, yeah, it was like, you know, everybody was going. So and she was even practicing one of the dances with her friends that would be performed at the ball. As to be a good mother, Mrs. Astor sent a calling card to Alva via footman. And the same day, a footman delivered an invitation to the ball. That's so, like, it's so interesting. Isn't it funny? Like, you compared can't talk to, to now, you know? Yeah, you can't, like, it'd be like me... Um, like, let's say, I don't want to say that, um, like somebody that lives in Glenmore, right? It's a gated community here, right? So we can't speak to them unless they've spoken to us first, basically. Pretty much. (laughs) That's how it is. And it kind of is, but. So Miss Astor, Mrs. Astor attended the ball, dressed to the nines, Rose. She was not going to be shown up. Oh, I bet. Alva also had a bit of drama with her sister-in-law, Alice, who was married to William's brother. I think... Um, if I'm not mistaken, that's the brother who built the breakers. Okay. Um, this drama was far more intimate than the Astor debacle. Oh. Alice was so snobbish to the point that she refused to even talk to her own chauffeurs. She was determined to outshine Alva any way she could. The night of the Vanderbilt ball, to Alva's horror, she did. Oh, my God. Literally. She wore an electric light dress <laughs> celebrating the modern adventures of the industrial age her costume even lit up thanks to batteries that were hidden in it oh my god i was like you fucking bitch <laughs> now that would be like what the fuck are you wearing and she's <laughs> like i'll show them she was she was like i won this one <laughs> little tally mark the guests were able to take all the amazing architecture in of the chateau some thought the home was just a little bit too much alva was on her way to winning the hand to social visibility. She had raised the bar on throwing a party. Like, this was known to be, like, the best party ever. Yeah. Like, it was, like, written up everywhere. So was she... She was younger than... Um, who's that lady she's trying to get... Um, I don't she know got... the ages. That was her si- well, her sister-in-law. No, I'm thinking of the other lady. Who mm. was... Mrs. Astor? I don't yeah. know. I mean, I remember learning about the Astors. I feel like there's... she's probably older than Alva, right? I have no idea. Okay. But um, I don't... I mean, I feel like she would be because she was already had that status when Alva stepped in. So yeah. she pr- had to be a little bit older. I feel like we're talking about what's that show that that new show that we've been watching? Um... Al- alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is alone. Yeah. No, what is that show on? I think it's on Netflix and it's the um, like the old. Um, oh, my God. Like oh, English. oh, oh, um, the cr- not the crown. Um, the uh, begins of the B. It does. Bridgerton. Bridgerton, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? I, like, I feel like this is like Bridgerton. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. So, although no one knew it was actually... So, by Mrs. Astor showing up, Alva had won this competition, right? So, she was like, ah, I won. But nobody really knew it was a competition except for, except for Alva. Yeah, of course. The day of the ball, on March 26, 1883, crowds of gawkers began gathering around before sunset, hoping to catch a glimpse of what New York High Society was wearing that night. Oh, uh, the Vanderbilt Ball broke down the barriers that had previously separated and established elite from the Novu Rich. <laughs> Rich. 
Um, Alva's bold move not only reshaped the social dynamics of the Gilded Age, New York, but also marked a turning point in the power struggle of high society. The Vanderbilt Ball forced old guard, including Mrs. Astor, to acknowledge the influence of new money and to reconsider their exclusionary practices. Hmm. Ultimately, this feud over Oprah, Oprah, <laughs> the feud over <laughs> Oprah, they didn't even know her yet, but they were feuding over, <laughs> over opera boxes, in, inadvertently catalyzed a shift in the social hierarchy, opening the doors for a more exclusive and dynamic high society in New York. The marriage between Alva and Willie was not great, but the couple had arrived socially. And that's really all Alva cared about. Alva, yeah, I mean, did she even, like, love him or did she just see, we'll talk about like, that. money? Okay. We'll talk about that. Alva made sure Consuelo could speak, read, and write French and German by the time she was eight. She ensured she Jeez. was ensured that Consuelo was well-traveled and highly educated. I mean, yeah, it's sad that she, the way she went about it, but I get why she was doing it. You kind of have to in this age, yeah. I think. Um. She completely ran Consuelo's life, everything she read, wore, thought, and ate. Alva barely allowed her daughter to have any opinions of her own. And when Consuelo got older and began to crave self-expression, Alva only tightened her grip. Ugh. She always selected the girl's clothing, and on one occasion, Consuelo objected, and Alva snapped back. I do the thinking, you do as you're told. Oh, not nice, Alva. By the, by, eight, by the 1890s, Alva had everything she could have ever dreamed of. She even made her husband buy several yachts for her, one of them appropriately named Alva, and garnered a reputation for constantly building one mansion after another. Willie started to flander, which was more common than most people like to admit. There was even a rumor that Willie was having an affair with Consuelo, the friend, not the daughter. Oh. Yeah. Most famous, most famous, famously, <laughs> most famously, most famously, William kept a long-term, much younger mistress, Nellie Neustreller. Neustreller? I'm sure Alva didn't care. She just wants the money, right? She, Nellie was notorious in Europe. Only it was just like his unfaithfulness. It was how it wasn't just his unfaithfulness; it was how he went about it. Willie didn't even care that Alva knew about the affairs. When um. Alva eventually confronted him about the affair, he reportedly didn't even bother to deny it. Some claimed that Willie was so desperate to get out of his marriage without courting the controversial divorce paperwork, he merely hired a woman to pretend to be his mistress so Alva would divorce him. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I mean, you have to, he's probably thinking, if I try and divorce her, Oh, yeah, she's going to take everything. She's going to take everything. You know, and his family's probably like, you can't let her have well, her fortune. Well, and they probably got married because they were both, like, high society, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was just and kind of, like, arranged. She wasn't anymore. She was, like, crashing. Yeah. But, you know. So, in ninth, I'm sorry, in 1894, Alva made an announcement that sent shockwaves through society, girl. She was divorcing <gasps> Willie. She really? said, bye-bye, motherfucker. Now, not only was William the man who bankrolled Alva's lavish lifestyle, but divorce also simply wasn't done in New York in Alva's day. And people began whispering up and down Manhattan. Did you hear? Did you hear? It was like in, in Bridgerton, the, 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 the mystery author. <laughs> Right. I know. Yeah. yeah I Alva know. quickly cut William completely out of her and her children's life. She brought Consuelo and the boys to live in Paris. The divorce decree granted her custody of her children, the right to remarry, and a large financial settlement. Sell- settlement? Settlement. <laughs> Se- settlement. <laughs> Alva's revenge against Willie went so much further than a lawful split. 
After parting ways with Willie, Alva's social status plummeted from the pinnacle to rock bottom. The Sunday following her split, as she attended church, every woman in the building deliberately snubbed her, treating treating her if she was invisible. Fucking women are such bitches. This exclusionary exclusionary behavior extended beyond Sundays, with her invitations to the most prominent events drying up, at least temporarily. It's clear that from a very... From very early on, Alva decided that Consuelo would marry into the European aristocracy and British aristocracy in in particular. You see, prominent families in the U.S. society were defined first and foremost by wealth. (laughs) I would be a big nothing. (laughs) Huge fortunes were made by the boom years for the North after the Civil War. And by the time Consuelo reached marriageable age, the distinction between the new Vulgar rich and the older families descended from the Dutch settlers had largely broken down. Consuela Vanderbilt was one of the most famous heiresses in U.S. history. For one thing, she was astonishingly beautiful. Oh, really? Yeah, she was Even very, with her very ugly, pretty. disgusting mom. Yeah. Oh my God, Rose, you're <laughs> such a bitch. <laughs> well, for that's an- what everyone said. For another Rose, square, she, was, she was one of the wealthiest young mom. women in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Even though her mother had a square chin. <laughs> Guess she didn't get that, huh? Yeah, so she was one of the wealthiest young women in the United States. Consuelo, Consuelo had grown into a beauty with her oval face and high neck representing an aristocratic, slim, tight look. Uh-huh. That was all the rage in the time. That's so disgusting that they describe her like that. <laughs> I know. God, it's a so, slim, tight look. A swim, tight look. What would they call me? Would they call me okay, a chubby, to... loose look? That's what, that's what I'm going for. A chubby, loose look. I'm going look. for the chubby, loose look. Oh, what is going... her, how do you spell her name? Consuelo. Consuelo. You know what's funny is I didn't know how to spell it and I just did it. The first time I did it, I just spelt it. And you know how bad I am at spelling. And I spelled it correctly. I was shocked. That's so funny because um, that reminds me of Princess Consuelo Banana Hammock. Uh, banana Hammock? You don't know? That's from Friends. That's Phoebe's made-up name. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> Princess Consuelo Banana Hammock. Anyway. Anyway. Would you anyway me? But Alba didn't see a mere pretty girl in Consuelo's beauty. She saw a priceless opportunity to get more power via the marriage market, Rose. Oh, I bet. Alva arranged for Consuelo to have her official debut at a stunning ball in 1895. The entire country knew she was she possessed $20 million, a sum equal to almost $4 billion today. That's so funny because if you look at them now, her Alva would be considered prettier, like in today's standards, I think. You think? I, I mean, think she so. looks like she's like too skinny and she doesn't have a chin. Yeah, I mean. Anyway, it's severely... Re- okay. No, you messed me up now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A sum equal to, uh, okay, some equal to almost $4 billion today. That money placed Consuelo in a sort of golden coffin. So it restricted her a lot on what she could do. So it's severely, uh, as I'm getting ready to read the next paragraph, it's severely restricted who might be eligible to marry her. <laughs> it dictated her future as an ornament for wealthy or powerful man, as an yeah. ornament for a wealthy or powerful really man. That sucks because she's not going to have any choice. Right. And sealed her off from any kind of meaningful life. It didn't matter who she was in love with. Yeah. Alba selected the Duke of Marlborough to was wed Consuelo. Man? Was he an old man? No. Okay. No. She invited him to summer in Newport with the family. No, he's... She she found him and he was in... He's from London or oh. from England. Alva's personal circumstances also made it very important that Consuelo's marriage to the Duke take place that year. Divorce was difficult to survive socially, especially since everyone knew 
that Alva had taken a lover. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Alva? With pussy. a man named Al- Oliver Belmont. Yep. She did. What a hoe. She had a lover. She's a hoe for show. William had a close friend named Oliver Belmont, an American banker who frequently accompanied accompanied a cup of bead, a cup of bead, frequently accompanied the Vanderbilts on their yacht trips and pleasure tours. Pleasure I don't know what a pleasure tour is. I don't go on one of those. Are there accessories on this pleasure <laughs> tour? <laughs> I was like pleasure. Tour. He and Alva got along so well, rumors were flying around that they were having an affair. And the rumors circulated for nearly nearly a decade. The details were juicy. <gasps> All those pleasure tours, oh they're probably God. pleasuring themselves. Just, well, that's okay. That's not cheating. The no, I mean pleasuring each themselves. other. Oh. Her and Oliver. Oh, well, that's true. There's well, that. maybe that's why William was cheating on her, because she was... Banging all over. No, this was after the separation. I already told you she oh. announced her separation. Oh. Come on, girl. I know, but I thought you were going back in time. You said when she and she was on pleasure tours with William. Oh, I mean, oh, well, that's true. No, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Okay. The Duke of Marlborough may have looked like the perfect son-in-law from the outside, but the deal Alva struck with him was rotten to the core. Oh, God. The Duke was the, on the verge of bankruptcy and agreed to marry Consuelo purely for financial considerations. None of this mattered to Alva. She was desperate for a title. And the family set Consuelo up with a mind-boggling $77 million dowry in today's money to cinch the union. So today it would have been Jeez. Yeah. There is absolutely no doubt that Alva used the visit by the Duke of Marlborough to her house in Newport in 1895 to shore up her again fragile social position. Because, you know, people are still not inviting her to stuff. Consuela rebelled and announced that she was in love with Winthrop Rutherford. Well, he sounds French. Yeah. And was making plans to run away with him and he left. <gasps> Alva rejected the idea, faked a heart attack to guide Consuelo, or I would like to say force Consuelo, into marrying the person of Alva's choosing. No. Alva was taken back aback by Consuelo's defiance, as her daughter had seldom caused any commotion before, perhaps a result of the stern disciplining involving riding crop beatings. This unexpe- <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> yeah. This unexpected rebellion prompted Alva to intensify her efforts. Upon discovering Consuelo's intentions to elope, Alva took drastic measures, confining the young girl to her room and ensuring threats against Rutherford's life. Oh, my God. Ensuing threats, sorry, not ensuring. She vowed to release Consuelo only upon her agreement to the arranged royal match. However, things didn't unfold as Alva had hoped. During the summer visit at Marble House, the Duke of Marlborough had asked Consuelo to be his duchess. She accepted, but they both understood they were not in love. This was a business deal. In fact, he was in love with somebody else the day he proposed. They were to be read November 6, 1895. Alva was rolling with the details and sharing them with all the press. A cash poor, pedigree, rich English, pedigree, I'm sorry, a cash poor, but rid- <laughs> a cash poor, but pedigree rich Englishman, the ninth Duke of Marlborough. The ceremony was underway. Consuelo was crying through the entire ceremony, but her veil was covering the tears. No, oh, so that is sad. Both the bride and the groom stared straight ahead as if they were observing a show. They didn't even look at each other. That's so sad. But at least they get like they both 
I think that was common back in the day yeah. for yeah. for a man and a woman to be like, okay, we have to get married, but we're going to be seeing other people. Yeah. So Alva had, you know, her divorce. She said she was going to get even. Yeah. She had disinvited most everyone from the Vanderbilt side, but allowed William to walk Consuelo down the aisle. Oh, she's so sweet. To keep up appearances, you know. It was just that, an appearance, because Alva insisted he get the hell out of the church as soon as he did his duty. <laughs> I'm absolutely certain that this match and wedding was actually what Alva would have wanted for herself. Like she, you know, she was looking yeah, right. yeah, for her daughter. Exactly. It was Alva who felt deep, deeply the exclusion from power and influence of the rich American wife, not Consuelo, who after all was only 18. It was Alva who was passionately interested in living in splendid houses. She had already built several herself with William's money. It was Alva, not Consuelo, who loved the idea of the role of the English duchess though Alva's view of this role was somewhat misty-eyed, as Consuelo soon found out. Much of this had its roots in Alva's own feelings of exclusion that started when she was very young and the dignified poverty that hit her own family during her teens. Oh, no. Alva was, remember I told you the house that they started moving yeah, into smaller right, houses yeah. and stuff, so they were like, it, it wasn't poverty by any means, but they were definitely not in yeah, high society. Yeah, I mean, to them, that's not trying yeah. to excuse that behavior, but to them it was poverty. Yeah. So Alva was relieved. Her daughter had renounced her American citizenship and be- citizenship and become a, bar- bar- a barista. <laughs> wow, she really went down. She went downhill fast. <laughs> her American citizenship and- citizenship and became a British aristocrat. Alva remarried on January eleventh, eighteen ninety six. She married Oliver H. P. Belmont, the son of August Belmont, who represented the United the U.S. interest in the Rothschild family one of the most important banking families in Europe. He was also a politician who served one term as a United States representative from New York from 1901 to 1903. When in Newport, Alva and Oliver lived in his home, Belcourt. That's the name of the house that that I was in. Alva still owned Marble House, and she used it more or less as a closet where she kept all her ball gowns. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was their closet, Marble House. It was on the cliff. I don't know why they wouldn't have lived in Marble House because his house was across the street like the house is like his house is here and the houses across the street are on the water why wouldn't they live in her house i don't know but his house was like built as a bachelor pad it's kind of funny Uh, okay alva and oliver belmont were two of the most vigorous members of the new york elite and most people likely thought they would reign over their domains forever but oliver died in 1908 from an infection resulting from an appendectomy alva turned her attention to the cause of women's rights when her husband died, she moved back to the Marble House and had a Chinese tea house constructed on the seaside cliff. I mean, I, I can't even explain how beautiful the view is from there. A Chinese tea house? What yeah, the hell is that? Isn't that weird? I don't know. And after, now I'm like, I really want to go now. It was probably like the the new thing, you know, back then. Yeah. Oh, of course. I'm going to build a Chinese tea house outside. Yeah. And I mean, the cliffs, I mean, it's so beautiful. But Consuelo's marriage was unhappy from the very start. Consuelo's separation from her duke left the British public astounded. (gasps) She did. She ditched him, accompanied by a cascade of legal complexities. So she and her husband were both having affairs. Yeah. Go figure, right? Seeking support for the dissolution, Consuela requested her mother's testimony in court, attesting to the unsuitability of the match. So at the time, um, Alva and her daughter were estranged. Her daughter was like, you you made me marry this guy or whatever they were estranged so she yeah got and she didn't her, need her anymore she needed she... her you know, she needed her mother to testify to say that this was like not oh, a good match. okay so surprisingly alva 
um, agree to the request. Wow. Yet the true shock awaited everyone as her testimony unfolded. Oh, God. They called her the Iron Lady of Midtown Manhattan, admitted that not only she had coerced her daughter into marrying the Duke of Marlborough, but she also said that she had begun, that she had been wrong for doing it. Wow. She told the, I know, this is like, I can't she have some growth within those years? She told the investigator mournfully, I have always had absolute power over my daughter. (laughs) Consuelo went on to find meaning in her life as a political activist. She supported the suffrage movement early on and true love with a less exalted but more sympathetic companion. Oh, good for her. Alba continued to rebel against male-dominated society, which confined the rights of women. Her iron will pushed her to make the change for herself and other women. In 1909, she began attending suffrage suffrage meetings in New York and joined the National American Women's Suffrage Association, observing the activities of women's social and political union. A militant English suffrage organization led by Emmeline Pankhurst convinced her that a radical approach to suffrage reform was necessary. Alva encouraged American suffragists to sponsor parades and mass meetings to publicize women's demand for the vote. She organized and funded a series of suffrage lectures in her Newport home, Marble House, paid to move the headquarters uh, to New York City, and established the Political Equality Association, also headquartered in New York City. She was determined to expand suffrage's base of support to include working women. So when some 18,000 New York garment workers went on strike in November of 1909, she supported their cause by raising money for the strike fund and renting the Hippodrome, which is a a theater in Midtown Manhattan, for a a pro-strike rally. Which is very interesting because she never seems worked so, a day in her life. She seems so selfish. And I feel like this, like, she made this, like, huge change. Well, I think, I don't know that she was, in my opinion, I don't I don't see her as being selfish. I see her as, as wanting more for women, but going about it the wrong way. And at least with her daughter. Like, you but, know what I mean? She wanted more for her daughter and she wanted her to to be strong and yeah, know all totally these things the and be way. smart. Right. But she, th- that was the way she knew how to do it. And it wasn't the right way. Yeah. It, no, exactly. I, I completely agree with you. She also encouraged the city's black women to organize their own suffrage association, which makes me a little crazy, but I guess that's how it was back then. Not that it's okay. Why couldn't they join them? But Yeah, right. Anyway, the leaders of the NAWSA, which is the National Women's Society, showed a little showed a little enthusiasm for her tactics and failed tactics and failed to follow the advice she gave them. She left the organization. She's like, "Fuck you." In 1914, she... Well, because she probably had no idea what she was talking about because she was a rich woman who probably who didn't work a day in her life. Yeah. I so mean, she's coming in trying to give these people advice probably and they're trying, probably like... Well, it's probably like she's trying to take over like she did with oh, her yeah, kids. Yeah, right. In 1914, she joined the more radical Congressional Union for Women's Suffrage, an organization found by New Jersey suffrage, suffragists Alice Paul that eventually became known as the National Women's Party, the NWP. Its leaders appointed Belmont to their, or Alva, to their national council, and she became the organization's most important benefactor. Between 1914 and her death, she donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to their cause. Her celebrity as a rich social matron meant that NWP received a great deal of attention from the press, which that's true. She spent much of her time and money organizing special events and conferences and fundraising. In February 1916, she and a group of fellow volunteers performed her suffrage-themed play, Melinda and Her Sisters, at a fundraiser in New York's Waldorf Astoria Hotel that netted $8,000 in donations. Wow. In 1920, her ex-husband, William, died, 
Uh, and less than a decade after that, the railroad money that has sustained the family for years began to show signs of dwindling. Oh, no. Yeah. In August 1920, the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution gave the women the right to vote. Alva, Alva encouraged Alice Paul and the other leaders of the NWP to launch a campaign to eliminate gender discrimination in the United States and abroad. And then in 1921, she moved to France, where she bought a home on the French Riviera and continued her activism for women's rights. From there, she helped direct a campaign to assure that women had the same citizenship rights as men. So because her daughter... Uh, well, her interest in the matter emerged when Consuelo married the Duke of Marlborough, moved to England, and lost her rights as a citizen. So once she married him, she automatically became – she lost her American citizenship. She had to renounce it. Oh, really? It. Was yeah, that how so, it was? But I guess you had to be the same, like, as your husband. Yeah. So, yeah, so she – that's why she started doing it in France. Okay. In 1922, the NWP issued its Declaration of Principles, which outlined – its commitment to guaranteeing women equal access to education and employment. It demanded equal pay for equal work and equal equality before the law. And it declared that women had the right to control over her own body. Imagine that. Oh, my God. Where are we now? Well, yeah, we're still fucking, fucking trying that. Ugh. A right to control her property, a right to divorce, and a right to custody of her children. In 1929, the NWP purchased a home in Washington, D.C. to serve its head as its headquarters, naming it the Alva Belmont House. It's now called the Seawell, I'm sorry, the Seawall Belmont House. And it's a natu- natu- national historical site. Where is it? It's in somewhere in D.C. Oh. I mean, we could have gone there. I we know. didn't know it was there. The fragility, of, the fragility of age caught up with her, delivering a debilitating stroke that's, that spring. The repercussions were severe, leaving her partially paralyzed, yet she courageously battled through for six more months. In January of 1933, at the age of 80, she ultimately surrendered. Nevertheless, she departed with grace and flair. Hey, 80 is pretty good yeah, for 1930. Yeah. Um, true to Alba's distinct style, even her funeral became a suffrage pl- proclamation. <laughs> in her final instructions, she insisted that, following a church service in the heart of New York City, an all-female team of pallbearers escorted her to her ultimate resting oh, that's place awesome. beside her husband, in the Belmont Mausoleum in, um, I think it's in Staten Island. However, Alva, to many of her triumphs, this too proved to be a hollow victory. Alva narrowly missed witnessing the last and arguably most significant tragedy within her immediate family. In the same year as her passing, her grandson, William Vanderbilt III, met a tragic end in a violent car accident at the tender age of 26. In many respects, this incident signaled the beginning of the end for the family. As as the 1940s unfolded, the Vanderbilt wealth experienced a rapid decline in the 21st century. Their once dominant position became a distant memory. Yet the shadows of the past still concealed the dark secrets that Alva carried to her grave. Alva left $100,000 to the NWP in her will. As part of her legacy, the delegates of the Pan-American Conference... In Montevideo, Uruguay, signed an equal nationality treaty in late 1933, and on May 24, 1934, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the Equal Nationality Act, which confirmed the principle that marriage had no impact whatsoever on the citizenship of Americans. Oh, really well, that's cool. good. Yeah, so she, that got something she worked so wow, hard for. Wow, I didn't know. Wow, I, I, I never knew that. I didn't either. I had no idea. Yeah. In the same day, the U.S. Senate ratified 
the Montevito Treaty. By now, we're aware of her affluent upbringing, but the emphasis on filthy wealthy becomes pronounced. Her family amassed their fortune in cotton, profiting from the labor of enslaved African Americans. Strangely enough, this wasn't the most egregious aspect of their wealth. So I almost didn't add this, but I was like, you know what? We need to add it because it's it's very on. It's, yeah. Yeah. Tr- it's um, what happened. Alva's authoritarian nature was evident from a young age, and this characteristic manifested quite early. She openly acknowledged at one point that during her childhood in pre abolition Alabama, she took pleasure in causing harm to the children and the individuals in her family held in... What is that? Mary's cooking. Okay. So the smoke detectors, smoke detectors went off went in my off. sister's house. And I, had a, I, I was like, oh, um, because they go off, they're very sensitive and they go off in my sister's cooking very often. Um, and so... I was like, oh, she's just cooking. So I was waiting for them to turn off because I know she'll fan it and it'll turn off. But then all of a sudden I was like, I don't I don't remember the last time I heard somebody walking around. And, I, and I, the dog was barking, like like howling because it was hurting his ears. And then I was like, oh, my God, he's in the crate. The house is on fire. And I like went flying. <laughs> the like, wind my, was gone. I was still down here like. Uh. I was like flying up the stairs. I don't even remember going. I honest to God left this room and don't remember even going up the stairs. And I come running around the I corner. I that panic feeling. And she has all the windows open. So I know she's here and I could smell something cooking. Yeah. And so she was cooking. But I was like, I didn't see her. I'm like, where the when I went around the corner, I could smell something cooking. I was like, all right, they're here. Yeah, because I didn't smell anything. But until... it's one of those like whole house alarms that yeah. it's like, it's, a, it's right outside the door. Yeah, and they're it's, all like, connected. So and they're loud. So... <laughs> Poor Harvey. He's probably like, I'm deaf. Okay. Sorry about that. So anyway. So by now we're aware of her affluent upbringing. Okay. Okay. Her affluent upbringing, but the emphasis on filthy wealthy becomes pronounced. Her family amass the fortune in cotton profiting from the labor of enslaved African-Americans. Strangely enough, this wasn't the most egregious aspect of their wealth. Alva's authoritarian nature was evident from a young age, and this characteristic, manif- this characteristic manifested quite early. She openly acknowledged at one point that during her childhood in pre-abolition Alabama, she took pleasure in causing harm to the children of the individuals her family had cap- or her family held captive yeah. on their property. Ugh. It's just... So now her later advocacy for women's e- equality takes on a significantly more troublesome, troubling dimen- dimension. Yeah. I mean, like it's like she did all these horrible things. I I don't I, I, I find I that I find that we come across this a lot with with older oh, stories where yeah, we're like, for OK, sure. you did something great, but you were also kind of a horrible person at the same well, time. Well, I mean, it's not just like I mean, you know, with with slaves, I don't I don't give a free pass on slave, you know, owning slaves. Yeah. Right. But I do understand that at that time it was normal. Why nobody had the wherewithal to say, OK, this is normal, but it's not fucking right. Like, well, people did, but. It was, but most people didn't. Yeah, most. I mean, the people who owned the slaves didn't because that was their property, and that's right. how they well, sold them. Right. Well, that's how they made money. That's how they made money right. hand yeah. over fist, like yeah. filthy rich, because they weren't paying their slaves. They were just right. making money hand over and, fist. And I'd, I'd like to say, well, you know, she was born into that, and and that's kind of how, how you know, she was what how she was raised. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you there are people out there who were raised in the same exact situation and decided to say, hey, this isn't right. Well, there's kids that were raised on farms that had slaves and the kids played with the slaves' kids. Right. Yeah. Right. And they were like But she was but she was mean. beating them up. Yeah, right. 
right? And so, so that's, and you know, it, it just makes me physically, like, sick. Because you know that the kids would go home and cry to their mom and dad and be like, she beat us up right. or she was hitting us yeah. with something or whatever. And the mom would be like, Shh, don't say anything. Don't right. say anything. Which is awful because I think like Lily was telling me the other day that her friend at school, she's like, um, her friend, I don't remember her name, was she's like, so-and-so was, didn't, said, said she didn't want to play with me. And she was so sad. Oh, and oh I felt God, so sad. Like, and like... Fuck that little bitch. <laughs> you know, like, I know. I, you know, I obviously didn't say that to Lily, but yeah. um, I was like, maybe she was just having a bad day. It you know? breaks your but heart. But it breaks your heart. And I can't imagine, like, that's her saying she doesn't want to play with Lily, like, nicely. Can you imagine your kid coming home and being like, so-and-so just beat, beat me the up? shit out of me. Yeah. And, and you, you just have, have to be like, like okay. Yeah. Just, well, you can't say anything. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's too bad. I'm sorry, honey. Yeah. That. Um. So when Chris was really little, oh, my God. He was so cute. He still is cute. But he had a we lived in these. Oh, my God. These fucking like Section 8. They weren't. Yeah, some people were probably Section 8 in there, but they were. It was rough, rough apartments. Yeah. They were rough. And she um, and we we he had a little girlfriend. Her name was Doretha. And she had a little brother named Alex. And oh, my God, they were the funniest little kids. And they would come over. Little Alex would have. Barbecue sauce all over his face, and I would, he'd come and knock on the door and play with Chris, and he was a skinny. He was so cute. He and Chris were just like best buds, and they were so cute together. Yeah. And he would put his arm. He he always put his arm around Chris and like call him his best bud yeah. or whatever. But he'd come over and he had barbecue sauce all over his face, and I'm like, Alex, what were you eating? And he goes, My mom made chicken necks tonight, and I was like, Oh, what <laughs> chicken necks? I had never heard of anybody that. eating that. I was like, What? <sighs> but they were so cute. But we got we got it. So Jaretha was Chris's girlfriend. Yeah, you know, I mean whatever you want to call. And um, they were like four, three or four. Yeah, right. And he, um, we came home from being somewhere and we pulled up in the car and there was another little boy named Jared that lived in the neighborhood <gasps> around the same age. And he comes running up to the car and Doretha's with him. And he goes, Doretha's not your girlfriend anymore. She's my girlfriend <gasps> now. And Chris was like, oh, no. And he looked at me and his face. Did you want to get out and beat that shit out I, of that little kid? My heart. And he went in the house and he just sobbed. Oh, and, oh my, oh my God, God. This is so sad. <laughs> my it's heart so was sad. so broken. I was like, I, I literally wanted to beat the shit out of that kid. I was like, you... <laughs> I was like, she's just a hoe anyway. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> you see those memes where it's like, um, my friend, you know, back in like 40 years ago said something about me that was mean and my mom has never forgotten it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of those. No, totally. That's how yeah. it is for a mom. It's oh, like, my God. I It broke my heart in his face. He just looked. Oh, my God. I, I can still see his little face. He was just like, and he just cried and cried. And I was like. Little bitch. That's how, so that's how Charlotte is with, with there's this one little girl who's kind of I don't think even she's mean. I think she just Charlotte's super sensitive uh-huh. and I think she um Charlotte kinda likes to be the boss of yeah. the group. Well, she's and, the boss of the whole family. Right. And so yeah. this little girl is also the boss. <laughs> and so I think they butt heads a little bit and she'll come home and tell me things and then I'm like Oh yeah. Whenever she talks about that little girl, I'm like, Oh yeah, that little bitch. <laughs> Even though I know the little girl's just being, you know, a kid. Yeah, but, she's being independent. Yeah, and she's right. being like she's being a strong woman. So we don't want to. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, a little bitch. We just have to tell Charlotte to every other time let her have her way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as long as she, as long well, as Charlotte's she something... super sensitive. It's like, oh, you know, this this kid said that I I did the splits and she said I didn't do them right. 
And and Charlotte will harp on that for like a week. Oh, and I'm like, you gotta let it go. <laughs> like, it's you not the gotta let it go. Nobody fucking cared. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And she's like, are you gonna talk to my teacher? And I'm like, no, I'm not talking to your teacher because somebody said you didn't do the splits, splits right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'd be at school every fucking day. Right. Oh my god, that's yeah. so funny. But it's the same thing. It's like yeah. you you do feel that way about those kids that are yeah, like, oh, it's ugh, little so. fucker. So that is the crazy story of that was Alva a good story. Vanderbilt. Yeah. I and it's it's really fun when you like have been there. Like I've been I can't wait to go to Marble House yeah. now. So it was really cool. So the the very first story I did was um Sojourner Truth. And that was recommended by my son because Sojourner Truth was Oh yeah, her, you went it was in Kingston, the yeah. town that my son lives in is where she did her tr- that's where the courthouse was that she went to and she beat all she won all those court cases right, against yeah. white men. And, you know, so then I was like, the next time I was there, I was like seeing this like story of truth, like the placards and stuff. And I was just like, so cool. And, you know, and so that's the other thing. I might see how close uh, CJ, Madam CJ Walker's um, house is to where Chris oh, lives. Oh, that would be cool. And go there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just very neat. It's like, you know, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's just having been to the house she lived in. So I'll give you a really quick rundown of the house. The Okay, so the house that she lived in with her second husband, Belcourt. Is um, it's a pretty big, pretty damn big, but when he built it, it was a bachelor pad. It was a one bedroom house with this like so the ground floor you walk in was where the carriages came in, like almost like a garage. It was like a garage door, yeah, big right. doors, and and they drove the carriage right into the house. And then the stables were on that same floor, but like in an adjacent building, right. but they were still attached. Yeah. So the horses and the carriages were kept in the house. On the ground floor. It's so weird. It's just a man built it. It was his bachelor pad. And then the second floor was, um, the second floor was, um, like, the living room and the dining room and, like, the parlor and yeah. all the, like, these, there's a beautiful, like, balcony. Yeah. And all that was on the second floor. And then the third floor was, like, the bedrooms and stuff. We didn't get to go on the third floor. But the staircase. But he only had one bedroom? It was, the house was built with one bedroom. That's crazy. But they changed it eventually. But when uh, okay, Alva, so when you went, it was different. So when Alva moved in, she was like, uh, we're not having the fucking carriage on the ground floor. Yeah, people, right. That's the, the floor people walk into. Yeah. You're going to have people walking have into ballroom. the... You're going to Yeah. So she did. She made the, where the carriage used to be parked, She or the carriage is, she made it into a ballroom. Yeah, the, right. There's a picture of me with a big, beautiful... Uh, or maybe it's Chris standing under the chandelier. It's I think giant, it's Chris and Casey standing under that giant Chris chandelier. And yeah. And so that's the ballroom. And that... The tile floor was all little, like, tiles, like, the size of, like, a penny. Oh, or my a, gosh. And there's no sheets of them like there is now. Yeah, right. They were individually oh laid. Oh, my God. The gu- Can you so imagine how much, that, how much that cost? The guy that did it died before it was finished, and there's known to be haunted in that room. You'll every once in a while hear somebody just sigh in that room. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it's that guy going, fuck. It never got fucking done. But yeah, so it was very cool. And um, so yeah, so she made those changes and the staircase was phenomenal. It was like in the back corner of the house, but it was just beautiful wood and real yeah. intricate and absolutely gorgeous. And it was very cool. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So if you like that. Well, it's so funny because my coworker today was like, why are you sighing so much? What is wrong? <laughs> I do that all the time. And and people, like, Sorry, I didn't realize I was sighing. I do it all the time. I, that caused so many fights in my marriage. My husband was like, why are you, what is, what's the matter? And I'm like, nothing, why? He'd be like, <laughs> yeah, you keep sighing. sighing. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just breathing. But then I found out 
I just found out like in the last three years that continual sighing like that is a sign of ADD because you hold your breath when you're doing doing something. I hold my breath all the time. And then and then you're like, (sighs) that's so funny because I hold my breath all the time. And so I I do it all day long. And so my colleague, when I was working in the office, I when I found that out, I was like, I have to tell you something. She's like, what? I said, I know I sigh a lot and I don't want you to think I'm annoyed with something because that's not why I sigh. I just found out why I sigh. And she was like, I sigh all the time, too. <laughs> and so it's Apparently really I do yeah. too. So yeah, it's isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> My coworker's like, "What the fuck is wrong now?" <laughs> and, and it's like, "I'm nothing. I'm just breathing. I'm just." Breathing. And then it would cause the biggest fight. She's like, "You're pissed about something." I'm like, "I swear to God, I'm not. I'm just breathing." Yeah. So yeah. All right. So anyway, so if you love that, like you love us, uh, make sure you give us a follow on our social media. Uh, no ordinary women pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And no ord, O-R-D, women pod on the X. And make sure you rate re- rate and review our podcast on whichever platform you're listening. And share it with your friends, you guys. We're going to do some giveaways here over the holidays. we yeah, got we, a couple we've of... We've been saying that, but we're going to do it. We are. I'm, well, I'm going to work on it while I'm up in New York, the giveaways. So... Okay, okay. Nothing fancy, just some, just some merch. So anyway... Until next week, guys. Bye. Bye.